If you're listening on podcasts, be sure to tune in to our YouTube channel on YouTube at Wild and Weird WV. Welcome to Wild and Weird Radio, a Wild and Weird West Virginia podcast. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us for yet another week. Remember to like, share, subscribe, and all that happy crap. But we are going to go ahead and dive straight in. We are skipping the news this week because we have a special guest lined up for you. We have the man, the myth, the legend, Stan Gordon, on the line with us tonight on Wild Weird Radio. Stan, you there? I'm here. Hi, Ron and Joe. Uh, glad to hear your voice again. There he is. Hey, it's great, great having you here too. And uh, you know, we're we're excited to have you on. It's it's been a few months, uh, about six or eight months or so, since we've had you. And um, I understand there's been a whole lot. I know there's been a whole lot of developments on our end, and there's been plenty of developments in your area as well. Oh my! Last year was just one of the most amazing years of strange reports I've ever experienced. Uh, Actually, he won the strangest in 1973 because of the not the huge volumes of report like in 73 of cases, but last year the, the good quality, low level, detailed UFO, UAP sightings, the daylight close range Bigfoot sightings, cryptid sightings. It was just all year long. And actually, it's, it's going on right through the winter here, right through January and February. Reports are coming in. And it's just been nonstop. It's just amazing. It it really has been a wild ride because um, it seemed like things just continued to escalate and ramp up. Is that what you also saw? I, I have no doubt that there was definitely. Well, let's go back a little bit since since fall and winter of 2021, when things generally quiet down with reports because of the winter, because of the cold and the snow. Things increased. We had an increase on low-level close-range UFO sightings, which was very odd. And it's continued ever since then. So right through 2022, there was a lot of activity. That's when we had that that biggest surge ever of the balls of light, these small orbs of light below the ground, coming close to people. Uh, Weird stuff. And then 2020, that was 22, and then 2023 last year was unusually active with very detailed, many daylight UFO sightings, Bigfoot sightings, cryptid accounts, all kind of weird things going on. We've got some very good UFO pictures that were taken, especially of these large elliptical, cylindrical kind of cigar-shaped objects. And then it's just going on through now. So it's just been very, very busy. Wow. The 2022 thing actually makes, uh, I mean, that, that pulls right into what we had observed as well. So, uh, you know, that's pretty much when we were getting the, uh, the orbs, that whole thing started what's around mm-hmm. 2022. So yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty fantastic, but, uh, there's been a lot of progress. We've seen some weird stuff. Uh, we've had some weird reports down here, as you know, um, I'm not sure what they were, 
uh, any more than you are, uh, if we consider it encrypted or 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 what. But uh, you know, it did have the one incident there with uh, with the witness not too long ago who saw the uh, the strange thing out in the woods and and had the activity. Um, it does seem that things across the nation have definitely increased. Well, I know in this area they definitely have, and I've been in touch over the last couple of years with different researchers, and they're telling me about the activity that's going on in their areas, too. I, it, it's really hard to measure how much, but they all seem in their areas to think that there was an increase of reports. And, you know, the, the problem is this. A lot of places get UFO reports. I get a lot of reports. You do many other researchers, many different organizations. But the thing is, is separating the IFOs, the identified flying objects, with the real unknown cases. So you can have a lot of reports, but like last couple of years, well, a lot of UFO reports turn out to be Starlink satellites, for example. But the cases I'm talking about are really detailed cases that are not easily explained away. That's what was so interesting, for example, about last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, that's that's one of the things. Anybody who looks at your newsletter um, they're not blurry images. Like typically your reports that you put in there, they, they have substance to them. They're not your typical, you know, uh, someone has their finger over the lens as, as some people say, or, you know, they're, they're shot and it's so blurry. You can tell what it is. They're good witness descriptions of some of these things, or either they're, you know, they're drawn out, but either way, they're very good, uh, reports and they're not just your typical blobs or, you know, there's some structure to it. Well, and that's why I don't waste people's time. I'm only putting out incidents that are very interesting, do not appear to have an easy explanation. Yeah. I'm not wasting my time with Venus reports and Starlinks and drones and those type of reports because we get a lot of those. And mm. those are the yeah. things we, we know what they are. We're looking for the cases. We just don't know what we're dealing with. And there's a lot of those going on. And, you know, you and I have talked about this many times. And, and when I started this so many years ago, I've been going on now almost going on 65 years now of doing this. I have yet to see a UFO or Bigfoot myself. I've been with thousands of witnesses. I've seen a lot of evidence out there. Reports come in here all year round, all the time. The hotline's been open since 1969. It never stops ringing. And when I started in this back in the early days, as I call it, and a lot of these unknown cases, like so many other researchers out there, I was pretty much convinced that at least some of those reports of low-level objects were probably extraterrestrial. The more I know about what we're dealing with, it's what I found out in the 70s and since then and ongoing cases, there's a lot more to this and it's much stranger than most people realize. I think there's more than one origin to the unknown category of the UFO mystery, but I'm telling you a lot of what we're dealing with, both with the objects in the sky and whether we like it or not with Bigfoot and some other cryptids, that there is a physical and a non-physical aspect to it. These things, they come and they go, they're here and they're gone. For lack of a better term, I'll call it interdimensional. I mean, I think it fits. Yeah, there's there's several reports, you know, that have this interdimensional style of uh, phenomena that occurs where one minute it's there, the next minute it's gone. Um, or they see it with these strange balls of light that we have keep having reported to us and people have these encounters with. They're also having the encounters with Bigfoot. 
um, or Bigfoot like entities, as we call them. The, the subject A and subject B is, is kind of how we've been classifying it over the last few years, um, where you have this more flesh and blood aspect to a creature, be it Bigfoot or some other cryptid. But then there's this other this this light this uh ufo this what have you that classifies it in a more supernatural paranormal range and so we we just we've classified those as subject a and subject b and we've actually used a lot of your uh case reports from the past to compare and contrast some of the stuff that we've been getting um now, what uh, given that last year was so active, what was one of the standout reports that you had taken that was uh, you know featured in your newsletter and, and but also still just right now really stands out to you? Okay, well, actually, it, it's actually my report not a, not a newsletter anymore, but it's actually reports on my website and the reports, and I post a uh, synopsis of twenty twenty three reports that your readers can go to and look at on the website. It's a lot more detailed and it's very, very long. But anyhow, you know, some of these cases in the past I've had, and I'm sure you've had some too, these are sometimes daylight sightings of large structured objects that look physically solid, but then begin to slowly fade away and vanish. These objects suddenly appear out of nowhere, but in many cases now they physically change one form to another. So here's an interesting case not that far from you, this happened November 16th of last year. My research associate, Jim Brown, who's a real high-tech guy, been investigating a lot of the weird things up in Fayette County, which is a very, very active area. And anyhow, this happened November 16th, around 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It's a beautiful, unusually warm day for November. It was around 60 degrees, beautiful, clear weather. And this neighbor just happened to be looking out her window and sees this object over top of her neighbor's home, about 50 feet above the roof of the house, that looks like a solid black triangle. So she she continues to watch this thing, but it's changing from one physical form to another, from a triangle to a square and back to a triangle. And she's watching this thing, and um, she can't figure out what it is. So she uh, goes into her house. She says, I better call my neighbor and tell her what's going on. She tries ringing the neighbor. There's no answer. So she's looking out, and the thing's still there. So she thought, I better walk over and tell her what's going on. She finds the neighbor was outside working in her yard. The neighbor had no idea this thing was hovering over the top of her house. So the neighbor pointed it out to her. Then they both were watching this thing, and they're watching as this thing has moved up to about 500 feet in the sky, which is still low, changing form. They both go into great detail about it. And as they continue to watch it, it climbs higher into the sky, for about two or three minutes till it becomes a dark spot in the sky and it was gone. Wow. Wow. That, yeah, that's pretty incredible. I mean, and at that time of day is pretty unmistakable that you, you should be able to identify whatever it is that's in the sky during daylight hours, especially. Yeah. And it's very, I mean, they're standing on the ground. This thing's only 50 feet over the roof of the house when they initially see it. Right. And, you know, so many of the reports we had last year, we're getting, we had multiple reports, even beyond last year, even earlier years, but a lot last year and, and 2022 of these very large, what appear to be solid, sometimes metallic or bright white, and that could be part of the sun glare, of these very long cigar-shaped objects that are wingless, just hovering in beautiful afternoons and just vanish right in front of the witness's eyes 
or in some cases, moving so slow across the sky that independent witnesses told me a commercial, a, a normal aircraft couldn't move that slow and stayed up in the air. Wow. So that's going on. And then you got the many reports of black solid triangles last year, amazing reports of these things hovering low over buildings. Uh, people have very good looks at them. And then we get into some of the interesting things that you and I have talked about as well. The, the indications, I should say, the incidents last year of people watching these things at fairly close range, low level, pulling their cameras, phone, phone cameras out, attempting to videotape these objects, only to find that the video did not work. Other people try to take still pictures sometimes, and the fully charged batteries completely drain in seconds. These EM effects are going on more and more with objects in the sky, with a low-level balls of light. It's very strange. 100%. And we can validate that, like, literally at this point. We had uh, just the past, uh, this what was it, last Thursday, last right? Well, last Thursday, then we, we did the, the photo analysis thing that we did. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And we had independent people sending in photos of orbs. And once we looked at those orbs, we could see geometrical structures inside the orbs. And I'm not talking about pareidolia. This was a square within a, within a sphere, which is exactly what has been reported by some of the, uh, you know, the, the, the government. Fighter pilots and commercial yeah, pilots. The, the fighter pilots who were talking about seeing these, you know, bigger things out there. But it was the same kind of structure. And we saw that in multiple orbs at this point, which is crazy. Yeah, and it's really intriguing, some of the reports we're getting. I mean, you know, you're hearing these reports of objects in the sky that they're seeing. Yeah. But what we've been experiencing here in Pennsylvania, and it's been reported other places too, and I don't know how if you have these kind of reports, but some of the incidents that we're receiving in the last few years, these things were coming up to people in daylight within feet of them. Wow. And um, those are just amazing cases. But going back to, let me see them. Losing my trend of thought on years 2022, when all these incidents are going, I have hundreds and hundreds of cases in my head, and I'm trying to separate them. So in 2022, in October, when all these weird reports are coming in, so Jim Brown has this report up in Fayette County, and it's 6 o'clock in the morning. This is in October. It was a cold morning. This lady finds her husband sound asleep on the porch outside in his rope and slippers, which he would never do. When he, she finally got him awake, which it was hard for her to do, she said, he told her he was walking out to get the newspaper just been delivered. As he's walking towards the paper box, there's a small white sphere, a ball of light at eye level that's between him and the box. And when he got close to this, I think it was around foot, foot and a half in diameter, if I recall. When he got close to it, he got so tired, he couldn't stay awake and immediately fell asleep. So what's more interesting is three days later, Outside of Ligonier, uh, so now, so you have the Chestnut Ridge area we talk about a lot, which is one of the most active areas in the country year after year. Reports are already this year of things going on. And so you have the Chestnut Ridge, then you have a little space, and then you've got the Laurel Ridge. Laurel Ridge area is also very, very busy with all kind of phenomena going on for years. We, had, we actually had um, on our live show a few weeks back, we had a live report from somebody who was watching us from the Laurel Ridge in their cabin. And they were having uh, activity there in the area. 
Okay. Well, if you can look that data for me, I can check my records and see if we had other reports up there. So anyhow, what happened was three days later after the Fayette County or incident, here's a woman, and she lives in one of these old historical homes in that area with a high ceiling. 2.30 in the morning, she gets up to go to the restroom. She comes out of the bathroom, and five feet away in her living room is this dark blue uh, ball, sphere of light, dark blue, about a foot and a half, two feet in diameter, with some kind of a dark mass moving around inside of it. She remembered taking one step towards it. She felt like a slight electrical jolt. And then she said, I got so tired, I went right to bed. The next day she said, I felt very weak and very tired. And she said, I'm an insomniac. I don't fall asleep. For me to fall asleep after that happened is something she would never do. That's just an example of what's going on. Wow. Uh, Stan, I have a question. Do you think there's any correlation between encounters with these things and sleepwalking, or is that just like a one-off every now and then thing? Did you say between that and sleepwalking? I couldn't hear you yeah. well. Yeah. I, I'm not seeing any correlation. These are all really good reports. For, and one, they're not, we're not talking ball lightning either. These are not the conditions for ball lightning. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll tell you about even stranger when you're a few minutes, just thought about it. And, and secondly, um, there's different physiological effects. Animals sometimes in homes, they're watching these things. Um, we got a video in from a, um, from a uh, game cam just from a few months ago up in northern Pennsylvania, up towards Cambria County. It wasn't Cambria County, actually. And this fellow's uh, security system alarmed him that there was some movement outside his property. And you can see... He sees his, on, when he plays it back, here's his white globe very low to the ground, not far off into the woods, and there's a deer standing there looking directly at this light and then <laughs> running off, I believe. Yeah. Wow. And, that was a really good I question, mean, Brandon, because there's a lot of people who would ask that exact question who are in our audience right now. You know, this people who, who tend to be more skeptical, which there's nothing wrong with that. You you need to put on your skepticals anytime you start to look at this kind of data. So that way you can fish through it. But that that is a that was a good question. Yeah, it is. And oh, I lost my trend of thought. Anyhow, years ago, I, I knew about these cases back in the nineteen sixties. Yep. I was calling them mini UFOs for years, but yep. didn't know for sure what to make of it. So over the years, more and more reports have come in. So I've had incidents where these objects in daylight have pursued vehicles. I've had them enter people's homes and cars through open windows. I've had them go right through the walls of the house. Uh, we've had them tap on people's living room windows, tap on the windows, and then move off when they're looked at. Uh, and then you've got the, the really strange stuff where, for example, in Pennsylvania and now all over the country, I wrote about this back in the 70s and many times since then, in areas where you have a lot of history of Bigfoot activity, you have hunters and just people walking in the woods and researchers who are seeing these small spheres of light in the areas where there's a lot of Bigfoot activity. Amazing stuff, man. It's amazing stuff because it's, you know, it's either one or the other. It's either something's observing the same thing or it is the same thing. You know, that's, that's literally your data that you, you've got there. Like or, it's, or it's part of the same thing. Or it's part of the same creating thing. it, it's yeah. part of it, yes. Yeah, that's that's either it. I mean, you've got no other choices. And it's it's a hard thing for people. They don't they look at that and they see the whole what is it the the woo factor, you know. We we think that's a very derogatory term. 
And, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with paranormal phenomena. It's, there's nothing wrong with it at all. It's just something we haven't defined. It's something that we haven't really, um, I guess, put the limits on because it doesn't have any limits that we know of at this point. We don't even know what we're dealing with. But I can't. Nobody knows what no. we're dealing with. No, sir. And, and that's the whole thing. This is going on. It's not just in one area. This is going on all over the world. That's right. It's going on more and more. We're getting more and more reports of these types of things. You know, when I started finding these things out, this was something I was not looking for. I mean, back in the 60s, I was investigating Bigfoot sightings in Pennsylvania. I was convinced back then a Bigfoot was an unknown primate, some type of unknown animal. Yeah. Then 1972 comes around, and then mainly 1973. And you got to remember, that's when I had, luckily, my, my first research group was started in 1970. And uh, by 1973, I had it set up so that we could respond to cases across the state of Pennsylvania. But in the group, I mean, we, we had scientists, engineers, technicians, police officers, former military specialists, all kind of specialists. We all did this around our full-time jobs. It was all volunteer. And, but we were able to respond to these cases very quickly and document these things. And until all these strange things showed up in 73 with all these UFO sightings and a correlation with Bigfoot and UFOs, never would have believed it until I was involved in it. And now it's going on all over the country and around the world, the same type of thing. And I keep stressing when I talked about some of those cases, we can talk about them again. I'm not sure we talked about some of the past where we had a direct UFO Bigfoot correlation. Mm -hmm. I'm not suggesting that Bigfoot was a passenger in a spaceship from another planet. I'm saying that we don't know for sure what these objects are, and I think we're dealing with something, once again, that has a physical and a non-physical component to it. For lack of a better term, I think it's interdimensional. And and then there was that case in November, uh, sorry, September 73, north of Pittsburgh, where you had the two witnesses waiting for a friend. They see this seven, eight-foot-tall Bigfoot creature with white hair running across the road, but in one of its hands is carrying a small glowing ball of light. And as it ran into the woods a short time later, this object came across the sky, projected a beam of light down into the woods where the creature ran into. That's just an example. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and people hear that and they don't know yeah. what to do with that. that to them, uh, that's that's nonsense. Why is that any more nonsensical than thinking that there is something else out there? Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't. I don't see a difference here. It's it's never been a problem with me because I've seen too many weird things to know that I know there's there's some different stuff out there. I just don't know what it is. And that's why we try to get the data. And the data is pointing us in these directions. There's an escalation of these events that we have seen. It will start with one type of, of sighting and then it'll build its way up, just like what happened at Wineberry, right, Joe? Yes. It'll continue to escalate until yeah. you've essentially come into a place where you can no longer um, explain away some of the phenomena that's occurring as uh, accidental or, or just coincidence. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's almost like it's happening on purpose in that location for some reason. That's exactly how it is. Here's the whole thing. What I found again, long ago and it's ongoing you can be in the right place at the right time anywhere, including more populated areas, have a low-level UFO sighting, a Bigfoot encounter, cryptid encounter, other anomalous event happen. But there are certain geographical loca- geographical locations, certain properties that, for whatever reason, this phenomena focuses on. And some of these places have a long history of paranormal 
but then they have UFO sightings and the balls of light and Bigfoot and cryptids and weird screams and apparitions and all kinds of things going on sometimes for years and years. And there are places like this in Pennsylvania. They're all over the country now where this is going on. It's very similar to Skinwalker Ranch. It, what I was dealing with in the 70s was Skinwalker Ranch activity long before we knew about Skinwalker. Now these things are happening all over the world. You literally just described Wanbury. Like, yeah. literally, that was a description of what's going on there. And it's how it happened. It happened as, an, as, as a slow escalation and just build up and build up. It's what is it? Is, was it, it was John Alexander who said that these things seem to know um, how you're, you know, how they are completely in control of the encounter. They they are, arrange it, so to speak. They know how you're going to react to the encounter. I can almost understand that to a point because we've been in the situation. We've been in the field and we've been out there and tested this multiple times now and got responses that we just shouldn't get by chance. Yeah. And that's what's happening. And, and you know, uh, Eric and his uh, Pennsylvania Bigfoot yep. Society and some of the people, they've been up in this area, a very remote area um, up uh, here on Southwest PA. They call it Area X. Mm -hmm. And it has some very weird things going on for quite a while now. And I understand even very, re very, very recently that it has some very strange activity. Yeah, this is common, like you said. And I think there are geographical areas. Yeah. I think it's almost I think there's a lot of them is what I think. I don't, I don't think any one of them is just, you know, any stronger. You know, I hear people talk about, like you said, Skinwalker Ranch. That's just one we know about because there's a TV show and because a billionaire, millionaire, you know, bought out, you know, and did some research there. But there are places that have existed long before this. And uh, the Chestnut Ridge is one of those places. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And definitely. And let me tell you, it, it is, like I said, it is so strange. It is so beyond our present scientific understanding. Nobody understands it. The government, I'm sure, is aware of it. Oh, yeah. But I don't think they understand it any more than anybody else does. They know it's ongoing. It's just so bizarre and so strange. And there's patterns to it, but a lot of it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Yeah. I'm, I'm agreeing with that. Yeah. Now, um, I understand that there there are some uh, more recent accounts that uh, you're you're able to share with us tonight, Stan. Well, there there have been some interesting things that have happened uh, already uh, this year. I'm still looking into some of these cases. Uh, I, I don't have the reports here right here in front of me, but we had a couple of very interesting UFO reports. We've had some cryptid activity. Uh, but what's happened very recently was what happened last week, which I know you're uh, involved in it too, and you've had some reports. But this was really interesting. It happened of all days, Valentine's Day evening, yeah. February 14, 2024. And that was actually um, one of the ones I was just seeing on your website. There you go. Yeah. And, and if you notice, I, I have put out hardly any information, just the fact that yes, reports are coming in because I don't want to. Um, I want people to be able to tell me their reports and their details before they know about what other people saw and to be able to compare these cases. And that's what I've been doing now since it happened, because um, the next day after the, the, the occurrence, my phones were ringing and the email reports were coming in. It was really interesting to see other researchers emailing me, telling me things that that I was getting the kind of reports that were coming in from widespread areas, we began to find over the next few days 
that it wasn't just in Pennsylvania, but there were reports coming in from, for example, you had reports, West Virginia, Virginia. And then later I had reports from, for example, uh, Maine, Michigan, and Lon Strickler's had reports from Canada. What's so interesting is the details are extremely similar. They're quite unusual. This thing was at very, very high altitude, apparently, for people to be able to see it hundreds of miles away within the same time period. And the details are very, very similar. So it's a very intriguing case. So far, we've, you know, when I first heard the reports come in, my first thought was, well, maybe there's some connection here with some type, with a space launch, with one of the experiments going on. But so far, we've not been able to find any correlation with any launches. And even what was reported seems extremely highly unusual to be associated with any type of launch uh, activities. So it, it's still a mystery. Um, I plan on hopefully in the next couple of days to put up a report on it. I think I've had enough time now to at least interview a number of witnesses that gave very similar accounts from miles and miles apart. We do have some pictures, and uh, so we put some pictures out as well. And um, it, it's a fascinating whatever this thing was. Stan, uh, we had talked about this after that because um, we compared notes, but you know, the number one thing was uh, it was a rocket launch. That's what all the skeptics kept telling us. Ah, it's just a rocket launch. We've heard this a million times. Sometimes it is, but the window was a little different on this thing, and, and the sightings, they changed. They, clearly, some are rocket launches. Some are something completely different. Have you seen in the past any indication that um, rocket launches – you know, following a rocket launch that some of these sightings uh, can tick up or, or pick up. Well, are you talking about cases that Real are not ones. explained or yeah. just the fact that you have some anomalies associated with the rocket well, after, launch themselves? after the launch, as, as in, you know, they, they launched the rocket and then all of a sudden weird things start happening. You know, is, is there been any kind of indication of that? Uh, I, I cannot tell you for sure on that. I, I can tell you, yes, over the years. Yeah. For example, we've had launches from Wallops Island going yeah. back many, many years. Sometimes yeah. they're doing some type of high altitude experiments. And and uh, so sometimes reports come in of unusual clouds in the sky, things like that. And we can very quickly realize that they were connected to some of the experiments being done at Wallops Island. We generally do not have any type of uh uh, reports on anything associated with launches from Vandenberg or Cape Canaveral. Uh, so that's not very common whatsoever. Yeah. But the thing is, what people reported was much different than these different anomalies sometimes attributed to rocket launches or other experiments going on. Agreed. And uh, I, I think that I'm looking forward to reading the report. I, I know that we got a couple of things down here, and they're number one. They were very adamant this was not the same thing that was ported because there was a, I think it was an incident. There was some video from North Carolina. You could clearly see that was a rocket launch. And then you've got uh, these other ones are like, well, this thing wasn't a rocket launch. There was other lights beside it. And, you know, it's like, you know, there's something else happened. Something else happened that evening. Well, this, I can just tell you some of the real basics. Yeah. Uh, the basic thing is this thing was moving very slowly yep. It got brighter and brighter, I mean, intensely bright. And people said it was brighter. Some people said it was brighter than the star Sirius or even got bright and brighter than Jupiter at times. It was moving very slowly. But a number of people said that they saw 
a smaller object either connected to it or moving directly behind it, mm-hmm. moving slowly across the sky. And then the other thing was that all these different people talk about this very unusual mist that seemed to be emitted from the object. Yeah. So another, it's very strange. We're going to see what, uh, how this pans out, like I said, and uh, we're definitely looking forward to, to the full report on that thing. Uh, we always post those up on our group, by the way, whenever you send out your, uh, your website, uh, you know, uh, any of those report updates. Yeah. We, we always put those up there for everybody so they can, they can go over there and take a look at that. Okay. That's great. And we appreciate that. Oh, yeah. But yeah, there's a lot of strange things going on. And the last year, again, the, the Bigfoot sightings, some of the reports were just amazing. The creature, creature reports that were coming in were just incredible. And these are a lot, most of these are coming in from the general public. People didn't know anything about these things. Yeah. And a lot of them were very reluctant to even describe it. Oh yeah. What they had, you know, what they had encountered. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We we totally get that. We've we've had multiple conversations with people who it's just outside, so far outside of their comfort zone that it's like they know they've seen something, but they do not want to talk about it, and they won't unless they figure out well, you actually aren't going to make fun of them, or you're actually interested in this, and then they'll open up to you, and it's like you know, but don't tell anybody. Yeah, yeah. It's just really incredible stuff. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, I'm going to tell you here in a minute about an incident happened. We're talking about the spheres of light. Yes, small please. Balls of light. Yes. So here, I'm going to be a good one here in a minute. I'm trying to. There was a lot of. There was a lot of uh, strange elements to it, and this occurred. I'm trying to think when this was. I believe this was October last year. Okay. And I want. I want to try to find a report because there's there's certain details in it that are strange, and here it is. Yeah. Okay. So this is Fayette County. This is inside of an apartment building, an apartment complex at four o'clock in the afternoon. Weather was fine. Okay. Here's a, a person and a friend sitting on a couch in their living room watching TV. Suddenly three to four feet away from them, a three inch diameter ball of light suddenly appears. The object had definite rounded shape with a glow with kind of a light golden color. It made no sound. There was no odor. The object was moving, we're like fluttering around in the living room. And then as they're watching, it rose about four feet higher in the living room, just hovered around. And then suddenly, about 10 similar small objects suddenly appeared. They weren't sure it may have come out from the original one. And these small lights were all flooding around about a six-foot area for about one to two minutes. They were all together, and then suddenly they vanished. They may have joined back to the original one. They weren't sure it happened so fast. The, the main ball of light was moving around in the room and went behind the television. And they never saw it again. Wow. That's, that's wild. What do you guys make of that? I mean, when you see something like that in your house, which we, we've had a few incident reports like that, that have been sent in where these balls of light show and up shadows and shadows in the, the house, house and yeah. they're accompanied with shadows. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's yeah, very it, to me, it's it's alarming that these things are not one. They don't seem to be playing with any kind of rules of physics. They just poof. There they are. Then these shadow entities and, and we're currently we're, we're actually getting ready to do an investigation in a house where this has occurred. 
Um, we're, we're getting everything in order right now because there's, there's been multiple sightings like this that have taken place in this house. And it's, it's actually very close to us. Um, and it's, it, it fits that to a T stand where they've, they've seen these shadows and then they've seen these balls of light that will just float down the hallway and then disappear. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, these are the kind of things that are going on and, you know, again, I talked about the strange things, the strange elements with Bigfoot. I've talked about this many times. I have incidents, many incidents I've written about in my books and other ones I've posted and I've interviewed, talked about in lectures or whatever. I mean, and a lot of Bigfoot reports and a lot of reports I've investigated have been in daylight at very, very close range. So when we're talking about close range. I mean, we've had incidents where these things were 5, 10, 20 feet away from people. There was no way they misidentified them as bear. They know what they saw. And um, so these cases are really, really interesting. But in a lot of cases, they look physically solid. But I have many reports from people over the years who are riding down the road, and suddenly this huge seven, eight-foot-tall hair-covered creature suddenly appears in the middle of the road right in front of them. They watch it walk a distance. They see it from head to toe, and, and it's gone. I've had other incidents where over the years where they're seeing these things close up, Part of the body looks solid. In other cases, they're more foggy or shimmery or misty looking. And sometimes there's other sections of the body that are out of focus, for example. And then for years and years, starting back in the 70s, is when we began to have those reports when my teams would get out there within minutes or later, minutes, hours after a sighting in all kind of weather, including snow. And you have these large ser- series of large footprints with big strides that go at this and then just abruptly end when there should be more tracks and that's going on all over the country now. Man. Yeah. That's just what, like, what do you make of that? You know, you're, you're seeing that kind of thing. Now the, there's plenty of those that you see coming from the Pacific Northwest. You see that kind of uh, where the pathway ends, so to speak, or where the trackway ends. Um, and it, from a tracking perspective there should be no reason something that large would just vanish into the i've heard multiple people try to explain that away in some of the most ridiculous ways possible and that is that uh you know it's it's backstepping it's it's walking backwards in its own tracks and or jumping into the trees yeah. which it, which I jumping mean, into the trees in the snow leaves its own kind of indicator there's, there's an issue there sure. it yeah. would shake all the snow out of the tree yeah. and yeah. leave tons well, you know, of uh, remains of snow okay, powder, ahead, little patches in the snow. Go ahead, Stan. Yeah, and, you know, I, I started noticing these reports, of course, back in the 70s, 1973, and, and always one of my, of all the multitudes of Bigfoot cases I worked on, there was some that just stood out, and the one case I'll, I'll never forget because it was so interesting, I got to know the family well, and uh, this happened uh, September, Labor Day of 1973 in a little town called Whitney, PA, outside of Latro, which is not far from the ch- part of the Chestnut Ridge where they've been sightings for years. And it was during that massive Bigfoot wave it was going on for weeks and weeks in those areas. And there was a lot of news about it in the newspapers at the time. I, I don't generally use names, but I was given permission to use this fellow's name. He's deceased. Chester was a retired coal miner who did not believe in Bigfoot. He and his wife and neighbors are on their porch the night before laughing about the Bigfoot stories in the paper. About 4.30 in the morning, the next morning, 
hears this big bump against his mobile home. He thought somebody was breaking into the garage he had behind his mobile home because he had a nice antique car in it. So he leaves the light out and he goes look out the window and standing basically a foot away on the opposite side of the window, looking away from him towards the neighbor's house, is this eight and a half to nine foot tall Bigfoot that's towering over top of the top of his trailer. He's watching this thing. It had his hands. It has his arms crossed in front, looking away. He's looking this thing, and the poor guy had emphysema from uh, working in the mines. He went over and woke his wife, and he said, "My God, that thing they call Bigfoot is on our porch." So she comes over and look. Oh my God! Oh my God! What are we going to do? So anyhow, poor Chester could barely breathe. They made their way over to the phone. They bumped into the wall on the way over to the phone. Well, back in those days, we had the real phones. We had a dial and a real operator. And poor Chester, he dialed zero for the operator to get the state police. And he got a hold of the operator and said, that thing they call Bigfoot, it's on my patio. So I heard the radio call go up from the state police barracks. And within half an hour, they had, they had um, what was it, I believe, six troopers and three cars there. And the state police called me to come out, um, to, come out to the scene after they got there. And um, Chester had cut the grass the night before. So he had this whole series of tracks in this wet grass that went across the patio down over the hill and some of the troopers followed the tracks for a distance and i remember chester saying to me there was one area where as the tracks were going they suddenly abruptly ended and he said to me i don't understand how these tracks could just stop can these things fly and now we stood out and chester and his wife were so scared they actually packed their clothes and left for i think it was a week and when they came back Chester went on television with me and radio to tell people that he would never believe it until he saw it and that something was definitely out there. Wow. Mm. And you know what? That's exactly what happens to a lot of skeptics. They are skeptics until they see it, and then they're trying to get everybody to believe them even though they didn't believe the first person that told them. We've seen this multiple times. When you see it, it changes your world. It 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 makes you still question what in the world you saw, but it's still quite, you know, it, it makes you challenge. It challenges you. Right, Joe. I mean, that's right. It cool. does. It, it makes you, it, well, it forces you, forces more or less you. to yeah. Yeah. look through this world, uh, th- through a different lens. It's a paradigm yeah. shift. Yeah. Yeah. You do. It changes your whole life perception. I mean, I, I've talked to countless people, hunters, outdoorsmen, first responders, who used to laugh about these reports and once they had their experience, their lives were changed. I mean, there's some people like this from 30, 40 years ago, I'm still in touch with and their lives have dramatically changed and some of them still can't deal with it. I mean, some of these hunters before the pandemic, I remember interviewing a, a, two or three different hunters who've been out in the woods for years and years, telling about things they experienced at that time and they had never seen before. And these were different hunters in different locations. I remember one of them had tears coming out of his eyes. And he said, I, I love the woods. I'll never go back in the woods again. Oh, wow. Wow. That's, Speaking of that, um, that's a rough my dad one. told me recently that it was back in the late 90s. He was out by himself before dawn hunting. And he said he heard something out in the darkness that he couldn't see that was circling around him repeatedly. And he said it sounded big and like it might have been on two feet, but he never actually saw it. Yeah, well. We've been hearing a lot of things like that, even recently. It's just crazy. And, I mean, yeah. like I said, some of the Bigfoot reports last year were just amazing. A lot were in daylight, some at night. Here's another one from Fairchance, PA, up in Fayette County, which has a lot of history. 
This was May 22nd last year, around 11 o'clock at night. Weather was partly cloudy, heavier in the 50s. Jim, uh, Jim uh, Brown investigated this case also. And this property owner on his farm, he was getting ready, when he, getting ready to go to bed when he heard the sound of his cattle carrying one of the things, stirring them up and getting them uh, excited. So mm. he first thought it was probably a coyote. So he grabs his rifle and he walks outside and he's looking over uh, in the muddy area where the animals are. And instead of a coyote, here's his, here he said, it was a hairy man about eight foot tall in the muddy area. It was standing mm. in the mud approaching the cows. The man yelled aloud at the creature out aloud, which responded by starting to run away from location. He fired one shot over its head, and he said, he told Jimmy he never tried to hit. He just wanted to scare it off. But all the cattle were accounted for. But the area was just full of mud, and the cattle had tramped all the all the footprints. So if there had been any tracks, they were destroyed. Convenient, right? <laughs> yeah, that happens. Sometimes we get lucky, and there are some tracks. Right. Now we, it's one of those things too. Like we ran into a similar situation back in 2020 where there, there would have been an area where Ron had a sighting and there should have been tracks, but it was in a cow pasture and the ground was just packed as tight as concrete in that area because it it had been walked over so frequently by cattle. Yeah. That was the first time I'd ever seen, I'd ever seen anything like that. I've seen other things, but that was, that was wild. And yeah, it does. It changes your perspective when you see something like that. It's just like, whoa, okay. Well, now, yeah. you know, it's not that I doubt anyone before. It's just that I hadn't seen it. So, you know. Well, but, some of the reports last year, other than Bigfoot, we had Thunderbird reports. Yeah. We had Black Panther sightings, which that is another story, which is very strange and unusual. Um, up Again, other cryptid kind of reports. So going back to July of last year up in Area X where Eric Altman told me about some of the things that were going on up there. So on that particular day, there were several investigators up there. They were reporting rock-throwing, heavy footfalls, and a bright red orb below the ground. They reported seeing a tree was pushed over, and there were two sightings of some kind of ominous creature. One witness saw it first in front of the vehicle headlights, but just outside the illumination area. The witness did see a tall figure and could make out a head and eye shine. Soon after, another witness saw a very tall, very thin, kind of a bluish-gray figure with little or no hair that crossed the road very quickly from right to left. It appeared to be hunched over, and that witness was very shaken by the experience. Oh, wow. That sounds almost like that thing Tommy saw. Yeah. That's it really crazy. does, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Stan, I've had uh, several people talk to me recently um, and they were just kind of asking questions. I don't know if they've seen anything or they're just curious, but these pterodactyl like sightings, you've, you've had a number of those things over the years, right? Yes. And what's your consensus on this? Well, here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We talk about the Thunderbird sightings. I've investigated many, yeah. many Thunderbird sightings. You've heard about that terminology. It goes yeah. back to the Native Americans. And they've been seeing these huge, giant, flying creatures for years. But there's different, let's say, subtitles, we'll say, under the topic of Thunderbird as how I list them. So first you have the numerous reports of what seem to be just huge, oversized, almost like turkey vultures. Mm-hmm. They're generally dark brown or black. Wingspans, though, are 10 to 20 foot or more. 
And once again, just like when you're doing UFO sightings, it's very difficult to judge altitude and size. Yeah. But with the Thunderbird reports in some cases, these things are very low to the ground, have flown very low over people's heads. And in some cases we have where they're actually on the ground on the roads eating roadkill with their wings open. And there was that one case I investigated back in, oh my gosh, going back to 2007, I believe it was, on a, on a rural road in West Virginia. Hmm. And um, there was a two-lane road early morning. The guy's riding down the road, and he had to hit his brakes very hard. Here standing right in front of his vehicle is this huge, gigantic bird. It stood at least four foot tall. It was as tall as his vehicle. And it was flapping its wings. It was hopping from one foot to the other, flapping its wings as they're trying to get off the ground. But it was so heavy, it could barely do it. And he's watching the wingtips, at the end of the wingtips, because the dust and dirt's going up. Finally, it got off the ground and went up over the trees. The next day, he came back and measured the wing the wingspan. It was 21 feet across. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Okay. So, anyhow, so you got that type of report. And then you got another another uh, type, which is more like a, a very large, generally black, leathery, featherless, yeah. uh, bat-like object, a creature that people are seeing. Okay, and then you've got the other category of what people swear. And I'm telling you, I've interviewed some very credible witnesses, very credible, who swear they saw what appeared to be like a pterodactyl mm -hmm. and very close, very detailed accounts of what they saw. I've written about some of these in my books, and they're just amazing. And then you go into the, the flying humanoid reports, the wing humanoid reports we have, which is a little different. Mm -hmm. I don't know where to put that category. <laughs> probably different. There's... There's so many. Here's the whole thing. You can't have so many of these unknown creatures out there. We haven't even talked about the different ones. I've investigated. I'm sure you have. And there's no way scientifically we have these many, these so many types of different unknown species. At the same time, you've got so many credible people who don't know each other from far apart locations, even other states and other countries describing the same thing. You can't just dismiss the reports. Yeah. There's something else to it. So with some of the Thunderbird reports, um, I've heard incidents where I, I've heard of one incident uh, from another researcher up on the ridge where a, a, a big Thunderbird was seen, though I believe was white, which are very, very uncommon. Mm -hmm. But in the more recent years, I'm hearing some other reports of huge ones that are white. But in that case, the, the, the bird was transparent or translucent. You could see through it as it was moving. Um, I interviewed a guy from out of state a couple years ago. It gave me a very detailed report. Uh, he and another person watched this huge flying creature that was luminous. There was a glow around it, and as it was moving, it was illuminating the area as it was passing over. Now, we, we had just um, recorded an episode uh, <clears throat> regarding time dilations, time slips, time, uh, you know, time travel. Mm -hmm things of that nature. And some of the stuff that he was saying that was being witnessed during these uh, out of body time travel uh, experiments that he was doing. And in some of the other reports that he had been given was that these people in period clothing and whatnot would look uh, translucent or have some kind of a luminescent aura around them. Would it be possible that there's some sort of time displacement that's being occurred or, or as if, um, you know, there's some kind of a time slip maybe 
where we're peering into an alternate point in history when these creatures were here. And that's why they appear that translucent or have that aura of uh, luminescence around them. And, and again, we've heard all these type of things before. There's all these theories out there. Mm-hmm. We know that there's similarities in a lot of these reports, but we're all kind of guessing at it because nobody knows for sure what we're dealing with. We, nobody understands the science behind it, but I think these are all possibilities. All we know is there's a lot of similar data for what's going on. And just like the Black Panther reports, I brought that up because it's so interesting. There's there's no black lepers or black jaguars in West Virginia or Pennsylvania. They've been seeing them for years and years. And sometimes in these areas, when you have an outbreak of Bigfoot sightings and other phenomena, sometimes you have another outbreak of cryptids at the same time. Commonly, it's Black Panther reports. And I think I may have told you this story, but maybe I haven't, so I'll tell you to you. Here, here's another case that shows you the similarities in some of what we're talking about. So this is February 1983, I believe that's when it was. This is way up in the mountains of Pennsylvania. Early morning, it's a very cold morning. This fellow's coming home, his car's overheating. Pulls into his driveway, goes into the garage, brings out a can of antifreeze. He's putting antifreeze in his car out in the driveway. A few minutes later, he hears this loud growl. He turns around about 20 feet away. There's this large black house cat sitting there growling at him. He didn't get real excited over it because out there in the country, there's a lot of cats roaming around. He goes back to putting more antifreeze in the car. Two minutes later, here's a louder growl. He turns around to look, and he couldn't believe it. That big house cat has physically grown to twice its size. So he's throwing the empty uh, can at it, and the thing growling at him, and it turns around and starts walking out the road outside that's well-illuminated. The guy runs into his house to get his pistol. He said when he came out a few minutes later, he couldn't believe what he was seeing. He said that big house cat that grew twice its size looked now like the animal you saw in the zoo, like a big black panther, like a leopard or jaguar. But it had glowing yellow eyes, was hissing at him. He said he took a shot at it. He didn't know if he hit it, but seconds later, it vanished right in front of his eyes and was gone. Yeah, that's uh, that is definitely a bizarre account. You know what that clearly that classifies more into the paranormal world than it would any kind of cryptozoological. Yeah, you know, there's yeah. actually a, a myth mm-hmm. in the upper part of West Virginia. I think somewhere around Morgantown, there was a story that a coal mine had a cat that would come out of the woods had glowing yellow eyes that were like headlights cat. on a car and it would walk mm-hmm. into a mine before a disaster would happen. Yeah. Many areas. That area, you know, it's, it's so strange and bizarre. Now mm-hmm. I know uh, we're, we're coming up here close on, on the uh, edge of an hour, Stan. And, um, I wanted to ask you a question based off of modern uh, reports that have been declassified and that have been coming out into the the public domain. Um, David Grush, I'm sure you're familiar with, with who he is at this point. Uh, he, he declared that there was a partnership during World War II um, and thereafter where a UFO was recovered uh, at first by the Italians and then the Vatican took possession of it and the Vatican worked with uh, secret 
some kind of a secret operation with the U.S. government and special forces to retrieve this object, bring it back. And it was said this crashed object was said to have been acorn shaped. Had you heard about that one yet, Stan? Yes, I have. And interestingly, first of all, let me say, yes, I believe David Grush is telling the truth because a lot of what he's talking about were things I was quite familiar with over the years. And I was in very close contact. I knew Lynn Stringfield very well. You may or may not recognize his name. He was basically considered the father of UFO crash recoveries. Yes. And uh, he wrote books. He was very well known back in the back in the years, back in the 50s or whatever. And Len had a lot of very good contacts. And I remember many, many years ago, and I don't remember a lot of details. I wish I'd pay better attention to it then. But I remember him telling me that he had information from sources that the Vatican had in their possession a fully, fully recovered UFO. I don't remember the shape. Um, and he had, it was some kind of books or something with some special title that the Vatican reportedly had that gave a whole history of these type of reports. That's all I can remember. Hmm. I've heard yeah. that book. This, this had to have been the same craft at that, especially with that period of time. No. So um, this is and clearly, this is purely hypothetical. This, this object reported by David Grush was acorn shaped. And apparently it's believed that it was a probe some kind of an interstellar probe. Do you think that there is a connection, especially regarding the shape of this, this object to the fallen craft in Kecksburg also having that acorn shape? Well, there's first of all, one, we don't have enough data on what reportedly was recovered from Italy. So we don't really know right. for sure. You know, always change over the years. I can tell you, it's rare to hear of acorn-shaped UFO reports, but they do exist. There have been other ones around the country and around the world. I've seen some pretty good photographs of them. They're not that well-known. You know, as I've said this, I mean, we could talk about Kecksburg for, for days, literally. There's so much information <laughs> on it. Right. And there, there's right. so much, and there's – it's a lot more than people know and understand. And if you go to my website, I put out a, a pretty good article on it on the 58th anniversary uh, last yeah. year. Which gave a lot of details yep. that people didn't know about it. It's a yep. very intriguing case, whatever the object was. And I keep, I've always said I kept an open mind. Was it something that was very advanced, very secretive and man-made? Or could it have been something that was not man-made? And we just don't know. But there's a lot of things about the case that still has yet to be explained away for the technology of 1965. And it's very interesting. And some witnesses I interviewed, who I believe were very credible, unfortunately, most of them are dead now. I mean, they told me some things personally that they saw at that time that was highly unusual. And some of their stories fit in with some other information I had. And all I can tell people is keep an open mind. There's more to the story. I like that. And as I've said in, the, in our presentations, UFO history is nonlinear. It seems like every year we get something that validates something that happened, you know, yeah. 10, 15 years ago. And now all of a sudden this makes sense. So it really pays to just keep your keep your mind open, keep your eyes open. Don't dismiss anything today because tomorrow it might you might be validating, you know, that that could well, be. Absolutely and, and speaking it. of validation, this this statement from Grush 
in my opinion, validated the incident with Kecksburg. I mean, it could. Who knows? I mean, it it, it definitely gives it a little bit of uh, a credibility. You can't deny it, that. You know, despite all yeah, the news. Yeah, I was, yeah. Yeah. Well, again, you know, the, the Kecksburg incident is just amazing. And, of course, one of the most important part about it is, and it's verified from so many people, including oh, yeah. many radio, TV, and newspaper reporters who came to Kecksburg that night after reports were that something had fallen from the sky to that wooded area, mm-hmm. and they themselves either saw military equipment or military personnel or or both. Some of them interacted with them. And, of course, the government claims that the next day there are only three Air Force personnel out there. But many, many people saw soldiers, armed soldiers, uh, you know, Air Force personnel. I mean, there was a lot going on at the time. And interestingly, the only document, the only official document ever showed up was from the Project Blue Book file. And it was not listed under Kecksburg. It's listed under ACME PA. And I believe the reason is is because I, I interviewed a family who was involved in the incident. They lived within walking distance of work fell. They were interviewed by an Air Force officer at the time, but they had a they had an ACME mailing address. Kexford is under Mount Pleasant Township. So I believe that's why it's under ACME because of where they lived. And that that document says right in the report of, of all the data, which indicated there was a lot of interest by many government agencies about what happened that night. But inside of that report, and I could be off a little bit, but basically the statement says a three-man team, of, I think it was a three-man team has been dispatched from Oakdale to investigate and pick up an object to start the fire, to ACME PA to investigate and pick up an object to start the fire. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, the, the people are still coming out today talking about what they saw in Kecksburg. When I was up there last year, I saw people coming over uh, over to Stan's table who had never, I guess, even divulged anything. And, and they were still coming out to you, like, after all yeah. these years, like brand new people. Yeah, there were, there were several of them. And, and these are all different people during different hours, you know, in their yeah. 70s and 80s. And tell them, telling me the same story. And yeah. a lot of these people would tell me something similar, that they came out that night with their parents after hearing about it on the news, and they saw all the Army trucks, and they saw the area cordoned off. And you've got so many people that you know, describe the same thing over and over. So many credible people who went public, and many, many others that never did for different reasons, which I understand. But it's just there's no possible way that something didn't happen out there at Kecksburg that night. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. I think it's one of the most fascinating cases, and it's one of those cases that it's Roswell. It's just like Roswell. It's it's got so many layers of a, of this cover up. It's got you know it it's got the retrieval aspect to it. It's got the hush, don't you tell anybody, you know, or you'll disappear stuff to it. I mean, it is typical. It's your typical Roswell type story, but it's it's set in you know Pennsylvania. It's yeah. And by the way, I did, if you have another minute, I just want to oh, yeah. make you aware of, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be doing a lot of programs this year. Hopefully we'll be able to do them all. I have a lot of uh, people responding and contacting me to do lectures and programs and events. But a very special new event, which will be officially uh, announced on March the 16th next month. But it's going to be, it's called the Hangar 18 UFO Conference. And it's actually, it's, um, it's, this is from a statement was sent to me from the person who has set this thing up. It's the first ever UFO conference at the historic Hope Hotel 
located on the legendary Wright Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio. It will take place September 20th, 22nd, 24. Nine world-renowned researchers and principals with over 300 collective years of experience are scheduled to share their evidence of the UFO phenomenon in contemporary live illustrator presentations. The event will feature keynote speaker Ray Szymanski, a retired 40-year senior engineering employee of Ray Patterson Air Force Base, who has authored three nonfiction UFO books. Ray will uh, serve as a master of ceremonies as well as provide the keynote address, Flying Sauce and Ray Patterson, The Long Strange Journey. And I can tell you guys, I feel honored. I've been invited to be one of the speakers awesome. for the event, and I think it's going to be very interesting. That's history, man. Mm-hmm. That's that's going to be a fun one, you know. That's history is what that is. It it's also, we've kind of been on the inside online. track. We've kind of been on the inside track with that event. Uh, the original is supposed to have had this past year, but was was unable to to kick it off due to some complications that had taken place with the area. But I'm I'm glad to see that right. Ray was able to get this thing rolling again this year. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's going to be the website's going to be called Hangar 18 UFO Conference dot com. It should be online around March the 16th. Okay. We'll definitely be plugging it because that's that's a that's a pretty awesome thing. I mean, I, I think that's going to be amazing out there. Yep, that's it. So a lot of I think this is going to be a very exciting year for UFO research. Oh yeah, and I just think it's going to be a lot of fun and a lot of interest uh, things coming up. Oh, I absolutely agree, hundred percent agree. Stan, you got any new uh, works that are are going to be coming out anytime soon? Um, no, I'm, I'm not writing another book at the moment. Okay. I'm just way too busy with grandkids and investing in case all the time yeah. and family stuff. So that's not on the agenda right okay. now, but I, I am scheduled to do a lot of appearances, a lot of places, and I am involved in some other projects and I'm sure awesome. at some future time you'll probably hear about them. Oh, I got a feeling we will. Can't wait for that, man. It's that that's going to be great. Uh, and and Stan, we we very much appreciate you joining us tonight. Uh, remember, everybody, that is StanGordon.info. If you want to find the website, go check that out. He updates it period very regularly, not not necessarily periodic, very regularly. Oh, regularly, yes. And, and you can see all of his scheduled events for 2024 there, as well as keep up with all the current research that he's diving into uh, and and plenty more. You can also get links to all of his books there at the website as well. And so that way you can keep up with everything that Mr. Stan Gordon is going on with uh, right there. StanGordon.info. Right. And I appreciate it. If anybody's interested in the books, the latest book, as you well know, is called Creepy Cryptids and Strange UFO Encounters of Pennsylvania. It has creature reports and things you'd never heard of before, amazing UFO cases. But uh, the best place to get the books now and the fast will be from Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. Okay. And, of course, they can come see you at the uh, at the festival this year, right? Oh, yeah. We'll be at the Kexford yeah. Festival and uh, at many other ones. If all goes well, there'll be other conferences I'll be speaking at. Good, good, good. And he always has his books. That's why I'm I'm bringing that up there. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, I have the book. I love that book. I have a few of your books now. And uh, I have to admit that probably one of the coolest things I got from Stan was the the uh, the old DVD that you did, the documentary. 
um, on the Kecksburg Incident. If you're actually interested in Kecksburg Incident, it literally has about all the information you're going to want. Yeah, it's still available on DVD through Amazon.com. It's really good. Well, Sam, thanks for joining us. We appreciate having you here with us tonight. Um, as always, we look forward to having you every time you've been on and uh, can't wait to have you back. So uh, keep us posted on all the stuff that's going on and you can always guarantee that we will be in touch with you for peer review on uh, on all of our data as well. Well, I appreciate that and I'm sure we'll be in touch and I'm looking forward to do the next program with you fellows. Oh, absolutely. We'll have some, we'll definitely have some data for you. Remember guys, uh, Stan is the one who pretty much convinced us to, uh, go out in the field with the Geiger counter in the first place that started the whole wild and weird, crazy thing that, you know, has led to what it is now. And yeah, I, yeah, definitely a good advice. So I'll always listen. All right, guys. Well, listen, have a great, uh, well, the end of the weekend, but have a great week coming up. Thank you, my friend. Same to you, man. Oh, Appreciate you. One more thing. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. One more thing. Tomorrow, I'm actually doing a podcast with Bob Gaddy, who was the reporter from the local newspaper, the Greensburg Tribune Review, who was on the scene at Kecksburg that night and observed what was happening. So I'm doing a oh. live interview with him. I think it's live or it'll be. I'm sure it'll be on the Internet of YouTube after that. Oh, that's cool. Well, get us the link to that when you get it. Okay, that sounds good. Yeah. Anytime you have something important, send it over. We're, we're like I said, we throw up all your stuff on the on the group anyway. So yeah, if you got something like that, for sure, let us know and we'll throw that up there. I want, want everybody to see that. All right, fellas. Have a good one. Thank all you. Right. All right, my friend. Take care. Right. Good night. Good night. Good night. Stan Gordon, everyone. Uh, a legend, a legendary researcher. Literally a legendary researcher. Yeah. Um, not only just fun having him on the show. He's always fun to have on the show. He all the man. I can't even imagine the case files. I mean, oh gosh, yeah. And you know, Stan's the guy who has an actual phone. That's a landline. That's what you know. That's the thing. Yeah. So when you call Stan, it's a landline. So you're uh, you can just imagine this guy. He takes notes. I've seen him at the festival doing this. If you tell him something, he takes notes, actual notes. I cannot even imagine. Where I, I have notebooks, but Stan must have notebooks. I mean, you know, he's been doing it oh, for, man. you know, yeah, 60 some years. It's just, I can't even imagine. Unbelievable. Old school, yeah. uh, hard, you know, facts right there, tactile. It's, he's probably that's got data. boxes upon boxes, boxes. Filled with notebooks. But what's funny is he seems to know where everything's at. Oh, yeah. That is amazing to me. You know, and uh, he knows his stuff. I mean, you know, he's an old radio ham guy. Um, his radio equipment is just out of this world uh, as far as that goes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, always a great time having him on. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Especially, you know, because you, you can always rely on Stan to have some kind of new report yeah. that will validate or correlate with some other crazy phenomena that's going on Absolutely. and help shed light towards what it possibly could be because there's it's like there's missing pieces in all of this that when you when you put all of these different accounts together from all over the world it it starts to create a string that you can actually pull no i mean it's it's data and it's validatable data i should say um you know he's 
he's had the same kind of experiences that we've had. We've had some kind of stuff he's had. And at least there's some core to it. There's a core to it. And we can look at those cores and figure out what, you know, there's something going on here, you know. And like we looked at the data before, it's like it doesn't matter what we call it. We can call it alien, we can call it extra dimensional, we can call it, it doesn't matter. The point is we're dealing with a phenomena that is intelligent or seems intelligent. It interacts with us. It behaves differently around people. Uh, it wants to be seen. That's interesting to me because mm-hmm. if you're dealing with something that doesn't want to be seen, it's not going to be seen. But we're dealing with these things that want to be seen, as in the cases that we were showing there on the on the live, you know, uh, yeah. talking about some of these cases. These people had seen these orbs. Those orbs wanted to be seen. If they Especially the ones that appeared in people's homes. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, there, there's no hiding those no. at that point. No, it's not. It's not that these things are um, just happen to be there. You know, it's like they appear. They're there. And poof, you know, there it is. Well, why is it doing that? Because, you know, if you observe it, it, it may just, you know, scoot off into another direction or change shape or change forms. That's an interaction of some sort. Yeah. And it's an intelligent interaction. That's that's not just a, you know, and then you have to real you have to ask yourself, oh God, I did it again. You have to ask the question, how is it aware of me? It doesn't have eyes. It doesn't have tactile responses. How does it know that I'm looking at it or in its direction? Why is it behaving? Why is it reacting like that? What if it's all eyes? Right? <laughs> no, I mean, really, that's that's yeah. the whole point. You're you're dealing with because something there that, is an awareness to these things. Like yeah. they are yeah. conscious with, with conscious. With no better terminology, non-human intelligence. It, that's it, what it is. It's just pure consciousness. That's that's where I'm kind of going with this, Brandon. I'm starting to form this this model that we're dealing with not ripples in time, but ripples in actual consciousness. That consciousness itself. It's all around us. Consciousness, you know, um, the force, God, whatever you want to call it. It's 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 everywhere. It's 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 all around us. And it is to me, um, it, it is uh, it is complete intelligence. So are we dealing with these little ripples of consciousness? You know, I know what I just said, and it, it makes no sense to a lot of people. But if you think about it, you really, really think about it. It's like a brainstorm, but it's 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 a visual brainstorm. Like what I'm trying to say is like, so if we, we go into your brain, right? You've you've seen these these scans or not scans, these images, these uh, simulations where they show like there's light in your brain. You've seen that. You've seen those images, right? Where when you think your neurons fire, there's a momentary flash of light. There's light there. It's very, very dim. You can't, you know, machines can see it. You can't see it. Think about that for a second in the grander scheme of things. If you're living in this giant consciousness, those little flashes of light, you know, makes you wonder, doesn't it? Are those some kind of, uh, you know, hints of of somebody thinking? What is that? I don't know. I've heard of people saying that when they see somebody die, they see a little ball of light that will come yeah. out of them. Yeah. So maybe that's one in one the same thing. Yeah, it's a hundred percent validated, by the way, in my in my opinion. I've seen that. It's hundred percent. 
It's not imagination. It's real. And I've talked to multiple people who have seen the same thing. I don't know what that is. But my thing is, I think that that could be consciousness. That could mm. be, you know, uh, the Akashic record, so to speak, where everything goes back to this main source of oneness. You know, I know you start sounding like a new age guru, but the, it, that's where this thing leads you. It leads you down these these avenues of asking these hard questions. And these are questions that people don't want to really ask. Yeah, for anybody who's confused right now, uh, please go back and listen to every single episode of the podcast, and then you might understand something. Pretty much. Yeah, right? I mean, that that's kind of what it comes down to, because it is. It's leading into this area where we're dealing with a non, non-human intelligence that seems to be very, very conscious. Especially when it's navigating the hallways of a house. Exactly. Navigating hallways of houses and reacting when people see it. Yeah, that's that to me. I go to show you that it's beyond the physical realm because it doesn't right. have physical attributes. Right. To me, that's beyond the physical. Attri- yeah, exactly what you're mm-hmm. saying. It's beyond a physical model, right? Mm-hmm. And then that's the stuff that people get kind of freaked out about because they see it and they're like, that doesn't make sense. Well, some instances too, uh, there could be a group of people and only a few of them can see it or maybe even just one person. Bingo. Exactly. And then you have to, then you have to question why that is Brandon. See, I stopped myself that time. Uh, I think part of it probably is just, you know, the third eye thing. Like, is your mind open to it? Are you actually paying attention to it enough? That's interesting. Well, I do know that, uh, you know, when we, when we had, uh, Mike on on there, he was talking about, you know, seeing the shadow stuff. Remember that? Yeah. And, and he says that uh, there's actually in the book, he talks about um, if you look out the corner of your eye, a part of your, your, your eyes actually seeing uh, in your peripheral is infrared almost. Like you can see just a little bit into the infrared spectrum. You can't see fully into it at all, but you can see a little bit into it. And he speculated that those people who see those things in your peripheral of your vision, and then you turn and then you can't see it. You've, you've heard those, those accounts before too. In the peripheral of your vision, that there is a spot to where you're actually able to see a small bit into the infrared spectrum. But when you turn your head and you look, then it shifts and you can't see that anymore. You're now looking at it with your your full cones of your eyes, so to speak. I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of theories, like Stan said, and uh, I I just like gathering the data and throwing it on the table, and then we can speculate till the cows come home. But I don't think we're going to figure this out anytime soon. Uh, but I do like gathering the data, and I like challenging the status uh, quo, so to speak, and the the ones who think that they know everything. I think that's fun, don't you? Oh, yeah. It's always interesting to mix things up and shake up the world of the paranormal and the unexplained around you, especially when there are so many people who are fixed in their own ideologies. And uh, when you just present the data, the -hmm. data is not an ideology. No, it's not a belief system. So you have to come to grips with the data. Mm-hmm. Beyond your the- beyond your thoughts, beyond yeah. your your ideology, and you have to look at it for what it is, mm-hmm. and see uh, where it leads. 
I think we need new protocols when it comes down to, uh, you know, these investigations. I think we need to, uh, you know, have these standards of uh, operation. I think we need to examine this stuff and be able to validate or throw out the data if it doesn't fit rather than just keeping it around, you know, um, if it doesn't, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. If we want it to work, that's different. That shouldn't be there. If we just want something to work, it shouldn't be on the table. Wanting it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. You have to look at the data for what the yeah. data is. You're, if it's data that you've manipulated right. and added into the fraction right. you're on yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Then no, that's you have I mean. to just take what's recorded take what's been measured look at those things remove any kind of biases because if you don't if you cannot look at the data outside your own bias then you might as well just hang up your coat i agreed 100 percent. yeah absolutely and so you know the only reason that some of these things are on our table let's make that clear i know this sounds weird those aren't based upon belief systems. Those aren't based because, you know, some of us are, have experienced or seen these things. Those are there because they fit, because they are part of the data that has been collected multiple times now. And it cannot be ignored, no matter how much we'd like to ignore it. I'd love to be able to tell you all that there's nothing to this, that this is all a figment of your imagination, that this is easily explained away as... Swamp gas, weather balloons, you know, uh, temporary delusions. But I can't do that. None of us can. Our data doesn't say that. Yeah. It's just not uh, the those kind of uh, manufactured answers. No, it's not that easy. They, they want you to think it up. is. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, there are those who want you to think that, but it's just not mm-hmm. that easy, guys. So... You know, I mean, when you hear things like pterodactyls and and uh, uh, thunderbirds, don't laugh at that because, as funny as it may sound to you, when you see something like that, you are going to beg. You're going to beg people to believe you, and they're going to look at you and they're going to laugh at you, just like you laughed at that person who told you. Yeah, don't do that. Don't be that person. Keep an open right. mind with this stuff because it's just, mm-hmm. it's real. I, mean, I don't know what it is, but it's real. Well, guys, I think it is time to look. What we got, Joe? At our roundup. This week, our intercontinental roundup Mm -hmm. brings us in at United States in the polling position, United Kingdom at number two, Canada at number three, Uh Australia at number four, and once again, Ireland. At number five. Ireland's at number five. Telling you folks, you guys from Ireland and Jamaica reach out to us. WV at gmail.com. We want to have you on the show with somebody. Just come on. (laughs) We'll bring you on. I think it would be a blast. We want to hear some of your stories, some of your sightings, Uh, especially if you guys know any researchers out in your area, have them get a hold of us. We've also got. I would think Jamaica would have some sea serpent sightings, you know, off the coast. Something. I would think some kind of crazy cool going right? on out there with all that water. UFO, yeah. I mean, plenty of water. So I'll even go with mermaids. I will definitely go with mermaids. I'll mermaids. Say that. Yeah. We can totally do that. And uh, I would, maybe I think the mermaids might line up more with Ireland's 
more. But we, we'll see. We'll see. Ireland, Jamaica, which one of you guys will come at us with a mermaid tail first? Um, c- coming in at our uh, cities, mm. our, our local cities by state and city are New York, New York at number one, once again. Columbus, Ohio, you're at number two. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania at number three. Charlotte, North Carolina at number four. And one of our favorite places in the country that we used to go to all the time, Chicago, Illinois. Chicago's up there. Ah, thank you guys for hanging out with us over here on Wild and Weird Radio. Uh, don't forget to go check out the YouTube, too, because there's, there's certain components to the show that you don't get to see unless you're on YouTube. Come hang out with us, if you can, on Thursday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern. That's our live show. And it is 100% driven by you and 100% kept free by the audience of Wild and Weird Radio. You guys are absolutely amazing. We thank you all. Um, We couldn't do this show without you. It's like, um, what would you, comedic group therapy. (laughs) There you go. That's what it is. That's what Thursday night is. Yeah, it's comedic paranormal group therapy. I think we we got a new word there. Yeah. That's it. That's what it is. So, guys, if you've had a sighting and you want to report it, head on over to wildandweirdwv.com. Go ahead, hit that report a sighting tab, and send her in. Also, uh, thank you guys for checking everything out. Thank you guys for sticking around. I really appreciate you all listening to the Stan. We know that, the, you know, Stan lives in a different era out of time on a landline no laptop no cell phone he's harmless <laughs> he's legendary and i got a feeling that pennsylvania is going back to number one here uh with oh yeah pennsylvania be back to number one next week watch out new york money on it watch out yeah well guys thanks for listening and remember if you see a small black house cat that isn't yours sitting on your porch don't throw a can of antifreeze at it because it might grow it might start glowing and we we don't want to be responsible for that stay wild and weird everybody kids don't try this at home no <laughs>